Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's Monday. It's Monday after Easter. And I have to say, in 10 years of doing radio, this is the first time I'm actually doing my show from my lovely, luxurious bedroom, literally, that overlooks the river here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And why? Because probably like 75,000 other mothers out there, all I did was cook and clean for two days solid just to have a nice Easter holiday with my children and uh, my friends. So welcome all to the after Easter edition of Synth Chat Corner. Um, I just want to throw a really couple quick announcements out there before we get to Michelle's interview. And why? Because she's far more important than I am and she makes me nervous and we need to get this going. Um, First of all, I want to remind everybody that the regular submission date for Art of the Live Film Festival is coming up on April 13th, which is a little over a week ago, a week, a week ago, a week away. To anybody that does not know, Art of the Live Film Festival is hosted in late August every year in New York City. You are able to submit the following things, shorts and features up to 90 minutes in length, which is any genre, along with newsreels, web or TV episodes up to 60 minutes in length, as well as screenplays up to 120 pages. All of those have to be submitted to me either on Film Freeway or on artisalivefilmfestival.weebly.com. Right now, the regular submission price is $20, which will be going up to 25 for the late submission deadline next month, or at the end of this month, I should say. So go ahead and get that submitted. Reminder to everybody, check the Bedford Falls Film Festival page this weekend, because likely we are updating it with a new date and a new time. Unfortunately, when things run late, like series and everything else, we have to push things back. Same case scenario for Bedford Falls. So please go ahead and check out the website, figure out the new date and time so that you can appear. And again, that is live in Wisconsin, as well as virtually all across the country for all of you. And last but not least, to those of you that are missing the Art is Alive film, film, I'm fixated on film today. The Art is Alive magazine, which is my publication. As we all know, I took a month off last month to, of course, for that wonderful TV series I'm working on, and now I'm finally able to get back to it, which are right in the crux of it. This month is special because we're including, of course, our product guide for Mother's Day, which is a first, along with tons and tons of new artists and nonprofits and all sorts of wonderful people in it. So look out for that the last week of April. And finally, the television series to those that are just waiting on the wrong, when is it coming out? Well, Cindy's going to New York City this weekend so that she can finish filming it. Why? So that we can premiere it in May sometime. I'd love to be able to say that's my Mother's Day gift to everybody, but cross your fingers and pray. That's all I can say. (laughs) I'll keep you posted. Everybody, again, the website, sunnyandtrixie.weebly.com. Otherwise, go to Facebook and look up Sunny and Trixie, and you'll be able to find us there. So without further ado, let's get Michelle on the line, and we'll get talking to her. Hi. Michelle? Hi. Can you hear me? Hi. I can hear you just fine. Um, It's a pleasure to meet you again for the second time because we just talked the other day very briefly. But now I have you on my show, so now I can ask you my 50,000 questions. Welcome to the show. (laughs) How was Easter? Easter was good. I actually went to the Met and uh, saw a beautiful exhibit um, with Alice Neal, this American artist um, that does you know, paintings of people, and mm-hmm. it was just really, really, really lovely. And then I went oh, to lovely. Sarah Beth's for dinner. It was good. It was a good oh. Easter. How cool is that? <laughs> now, I want to start right off, like I've been starting with lots of people who come on my show lately because we're all living in the same country and kind of experiencing same but different sorts of scenarios. And I know that you're in New Jersey, which is, of course, close to New York City. 
So we have some other friends I've spoken to, but tell me a bit about how things are there, business-wise, personal-wise. How are you managing, and, and how is everyone else managing in terms of keeping afloat there for now? You know, I'd say the key word is optimism. You know, I, I feel like everybody mm-hmm. is hopeful. And I've actually been saying to people, you know, spring is a time of hope and renewal, and it's getting warm, and you're seeing the buds come out on the trees. And and mm-hmm. I think that the fact that, you know, I'm, I've gotten myself fully vaccinated, as has the majority of my family. And um, we're just starting to have discussions about what the path to, to I don't know if you could call it normalcy, but the path to sure. – whatever new um, system will be for us. You know, everybody misses human interaction. Everybody misses socialization, all of that stuff. You know, we just had a holiday where, you know, for the first time some people will maybe be able to get together in small groups. And um, I think business-wise I'm starting to see businesses opening up, you know. Um, You're starting Mm -hmm. to see – some indoor dining happening. And it's funny, every time, you know, last night we were talking to our waiter and he was like, I'm so glad to be back. And I think that's how everybody's starting to feel. They're just so glad to be back. So I'm really ready for that. I'm ready for the spring. (laughs) Listen to this exile, like an excitement in her voice. Now that's something that I miss. One of the things I don't get is you talk to a lot of people I get a lot of monotone and I get a lot of, oh, my God, I can't handle this anymore, and a lot of so much frustration and fear and just very demoralized sense of, you know, just where are we going, where are we headed, how are things going to get back to that, what they call the new norm, like you were saying. So hopefully, God willing, you know, things will be terrific. I have a couple of friends in, in Jersey. One owns a restaurant, one owns a magazine, and, and they're struggling. I mean, it's it's a tough time for everybody. It truly is. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you have this excitement in your voice. That's what we, we need more of that, absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. So I'm going to pick your brain. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about you. Why? Because, of course, Encourage Kids Foundation is important, but you're important, too. Because if there wasn't a you, in large part, there wouldn't be a lot of Encourage Kids. Make sense? Oh. So I'm going to ask you a bunch of things because I, I creeped on you quite a bit, and that's what journalists do. They <laughs> dig up things that you probably don't know. So get ready for it because there might be something that you don't know. Um, you and I are both Midwesterners. I understand you're a native of Michigan. I, of course, am in Wisconsin, and I know you got your BA in advertising. Um, I want to talk a bit about that because Midwesterners, what I find is Midwesterners that end up becoming East Coast people are much nicer because I love my New Yorkers, but, like, in the beginning, I feel like you need a training class. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's tough. Oh, like, yeah. people wouldn't look at me yeah. when I got there, and it's like, did you have a hard time adjusting to what people were like on the East Coast? Because, like I said, it can be it can be a path to acceptance there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I did, but you know what? I've been here so long, now I look back at it, and there was some moment where I was going back to Michigan, and instead of being a girl from a Midwesterner, I was a New Yorker to them. And I don't know if it's I was wearing too much black, or I kept saying, what time is it? It's, the day isn't over yet? Oh, I'm bored. You know, it was, it, it was hilarious. That there, there just there just came a time where I was that I was that New York girl that they were like, oh my God, you're absolutely ridiculous, you know, talking about brunch sure. and all of that. But yeah, you know what I think that you know it, in the beginning, like I loved New York and I was so fascinated with it, and just still love to wander around. I think it's one of the things that I miss about going into the office. We're in Midtown, and when it's a great day. I would leave and just walk around the city because there's always something to see. It is one of the most fascinating places in the United States. 
But, yeah, you know what? Like, everybody, I don't think New Yorkers are mean. I think they're intense. You know, if somebody yes. falls down on the subway, they're like worker bees. They're like, let me get your purse and get you up and all right. Yep. Are you okay? Good. Get on the train. Go. You know. So right. <laughs> they're like worker bees. They want order. You know, we all need to walk the right way. You know, don't be out of order. And I think that's what makes the city function. But, there, you know, there's just also – New York's been through so many things, 9-11, now the pandemic, mm-hmm. and you, you just see them rise together and get it done. So New Yorkers just have a special place in my heart. You just got to know which side mm-hmm. of the street to walk on. Absolutely. No, I agree with you without a doubt. I've only been to Michigan once or twice, and I'm not going to lie. I'd like to get back there at some point in time. My sweetheart is uh, a New Yorker, uh, born and bred, and so one of the places I'd love to take him there is is Michigan because I've heard some wonderful things about it. Like I said, I zipped through it once or twice. So give me a heads up. Most important thing to see while we're there would be? Oh, wow. I mean, Michigan is stunning. It has so many lakes. It's absolutely beautiful. It depends on what you like. Um, I drove up to Torch Lake this past winter, never heard of it. It's this lake that is up near Grand Rapids, and for whatever reason, the water is blue, like the Caribbean. It's crazy. So there's some, you know, it was an inlet, and then something happened, and then, the, yeah, it's just, it's stunning. So I think the Torch Lake, um, Grand Traverse, not Grand Rapids, wrong way. Don't go that way. Grand Traverse <laughs> area is absolutely beautiful. We have a lot of grand things. And then, of course, Detroit. If you go to Detroit and you're there on a Saturday, you want to go to um, the Eastern Market, just bursting with, you know, um, beautiful flowers, you know, vegetables. It's a wonderful place where everybody comes and brings all of their wares. And then around it, there's just wonderful, like, barbecue spots, pizza places. It's just really, really, really a great meeting spot for people. Um, Some cool breweries on the side streets, coffee shops, just fun. And everybody will have fun, right? You know, you mentioned you have little ones. You want to go somewhere where everybody's going to have a great time. Um, The UP, the Upper Peninsula, is amazing. I'm terrified to drive over the Mackinac Bridge. Somebody has to drive me. But, but, you know, you get over it and and, uh, Mackinac Island and that gorgeous big hotel up there. It's just beautiful. It is a stunning state. It really, really is. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I kind of felt badly when I went through it that one time. And I'm like, you know, it stinks to, to... zip through a city without seeing all the color and the culture involved with it. So that's my yeah. hope is that we can do kind of a Midwestern tour. But thank you for that. I appreciate that. Cause like I said, who better to ask than somebody who's been a native, obviously <laughs> um, this question, this next question um, I think is crucial uh, in my personal opinion. One of the things that I find is a part and parcel of a, of a human being is where they've come from. And that means right from the get go, as I understand it, you had what I call a, a, a legion of strong female moms, so to speak. You were raised not just by mom, but also grandma and aunts. So very female mm-hmm. base at home. So my question to you is this coming from that background to get going, um, I'm going to guess that you're rather strong, rather independent, and also have a strong sense of who you are right from the get-go. So if I could just ask you the number one or maybe two things unilaterally that you took away from them to this day that you still follow, whether it's something personal, professional, what did they instill in you that has been inspiring to you? Um, The value of hard work. Um, You know, everybody – 
worked hard. You know, Michigan is, when I grew up, you know, General Motors was not in its heyday, but it was going pretty strong until the 80s. And so, you know, it was a robust um, state. You know, I grew up in Flint, and Flint was a, a smaller town than Detroit, but, you know, everyone everyone worked. And you you just you just watched everyone have this great work ethic. I started working when I was 16 years old. Um, I just think work was definitely one of those things. And then I would say, you know, a sense of a sense of kind of forging ahead no matter what. You know, my my aunts and my mom, all young women, all went to college. All of them finished college. That was not something that was up for discussion. Um, all of my cousins are very strong women, uh, all doing great things. And so, you know, I, I, I think that was a great question. Like, you're right. I, I had some really amazing female role models on both sides, my, sure. the women on my dad's side and my mom's side. Um, were just incredible people. And so, yeah, I do. I owe a lot of how I think and how I um, react and act to them. Oh, you betcha. I had a guest come on at one point in time to discuss the opposite side of the fence, meaning that they had talked about the absence per se or, or limited access to a father in a parental role and how that affected them. So if I could ask you likewise, do you feel that there is some, talk to me a bit about, being in an all-female household and kind of lacking some of that, because um, I haven't heard you speak about your father per se. Um, and so t- I do have a, a large listening base that is a one-parent family. Tell us a bit about, is there anything that, that makes it more of a challenge for you in that regard? You know, it's interesting. I think it does. Like, so my parents got divorced very early on. So, you know, I I saw my dad, but not as often as I would have, obviously, if he lived with us or lived near us. And um, I had my, my mom has three brothers. And so my uncles factored a lot also in, in, in who I was. They were the cheerleaders. You're cute. You can do anything. You're smart. You know, how many A's did you get? I have my uncle David paid me for every A that I got. Um, he very he just very sweet and there's a story of my uncle Henry who just passed away last year when I was five I asked him for twenty dollars to go to the circus so I was a really precocious kid and he gave me the twenty dollars and I went on the bus with the big kids to the circus I wasn't supposed to go but I just knew they were going and I left with that class and went with them and the only reason why I couldn't figure out how to get back home was because I couldn't read the street. I knew how to get to the auditorium, but not how to get back home. And they asked him, they were like, you know, they finally, it's the whole thing. They find me. I I get brought back home. And they're like, oh, my God, who gave you the money? I'm like, Uncle Henry gave it to me. And he's like, well, she asked me for $20, you know. It's my favorite niece. Mm -hmm. I gave it to her. So, you know, they were the suppliers of adventure. And so it kind of made up for the fact that my dad wasn't around a lot. You know, I think uncles are are the best. They really, really are because, you know, sure. they um they show up in that space a lot of times where your 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 dad can't. Right. I agree with you there. 
definitely. Now, the other on the other side of the fence, I was reading an interview just the other day that you had done. One of the things that you had mentioned, cause, and it's ironic because I say this constantly, and I'm very open with my audience about how I feel about things, you had talked a bit about having some form of disappointment by the limits um, that are put on you by people who are closer to you, meaning the people that we love. And I recently made a, this, this similar comment, uh, how it's interesting to me how the people that barely know you will, will go 100 yards for you, whereas sometimes the people closer to you aren't quite as giving. Um, any thoughts on that in terms of that? And, and has that evolved over the years? And you've kind of had an equal sort of support on both sides of the fence, or do you kind of still stand with that statement? Because I found that rather interesting. It stood out to me. Yeah, I think it's true in that, you know, a lot of times, I mean, like, I think in family, one, you have to have a profound imagination. When I talk to people who break out, either move away or do something different, not follow the family business, all of that stuff, I think in hindsight, what's really happening with people is they are either afraid to let you go and do something. I know for me, I wanted to, when I was in high school, I wanted to go to New York University. So right. I always wanted to be in New York, clearly. And <laughs> my family just was not interested in that decision and not supportive of it. And so I wound up going to Michigan State, which I'm really happy about in hindsight. I love being a Spartan. It was a great experience. I love the school. I think it's an amazing university. But, you know, I'll hear hear people tell those stories like, yeah, when I was young, I wanted to I wanted to leave and I wanted to go to college in California, and my family was against it because they didn't want me to leave. They wanted me to stay. And so I think now a lot of times lack of support comes from fear and fear of the unknown, that type of worry. And I try to – if I see that happening with our younger generation, I definitely try to intercede and like, hey, you should do what you want to do. And if you really want to, you know, run away and join the rodeo, like I'm down for it. Go ahead, you know, go do it. You know, <laughs> sure, you know, sure. Because, because I think like you just, you just kids say the craziest stuff, and you go, yeah, sure, you can do that because it's important mm-hmm. for kids to hear your support. Half the things kids say, they're not going to do it. But it's really not cool for them to constantly hear, no, you can't, no, you can't. I want you to do something uh, uh, that I want you to do, not what you want to do. And it was funny. I was watching something on the Internet the other day about that. Um, I think it was Tabitha Brown, like the vegan guru, was saying, she was in an interview, and she was saying her daughter had decided she didn't want to go to college. And she told her, Hmm. I I understand that this is just not your thing. What's your path to success in adulthood? And her daughter outlined it, and she said, I support you. And the interviewer was like, oh, my goodness. Like, parents, they're going to ha- they're gonna struggle to hear that. But, you know, the truth is college isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. I would agree. And I think, and I think that, you know, it, 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 I think I'm, I'm, I'm really – a supporter of knowing your kids and listening to your kids and knowing that something like college, if they decide not to go and they're doing something productive. Now I am definitely not a, a supporter of you not going to college and just sitting around. But if you're trying to figure it out and you need that gap year or years, and then you go back and you're ready for it, 
it's I think I'm all for it. So I I I think as a parent and as now that I'm older, I think mm-hmm. a lot of that people not supporting you, it a lot of the times it, it has to do with their own fears, their own um issues around progress and prog- and progression. That makes perfect sense as a matter of fact it does. Thank you. Um now, I, I know that you're a hugely busy woman like myself, and so oftentimes one of these go-to questions that I have on the show is obvious because you probably have 14 seconds to breathe during the course of any average day. So if I were to ask you, okay, if I shadowed Michelle for one day, what sort of personal things does she even have time to do? What do you enjoy doing when you do have time to breathe on a personal note? Um, Walking. I love walking around. I love Going up to, there's a, a, a main street that has like a market. I go to the bakery. Just, I like being alone and having that space to just let my mind wander and and not be under a lot of pressure. One of the things that I am trying to do is to plan and really craft mental health days like, looking at my calendar and saying, oh, this day I'm going to go to the spa and get a facial. I'm really bad at that right. kind of stuff. <laughs> and that, that self-care stuff, you know what I mean? I'm yes, really bad at I that. Do. And And we have to do that for ourselves. There is nothing like looking down at your hands and your nails are, like, freshly painted. And you're like, ooh, I just feel complete, you know? I feel like a human being. But sometimes me – taking that time to run over to the mall and sit down for that 30 minutes seems ridiculous. I could do stuff for everybody else, and it's just one of those things that I really want to concentrate on right now, particularly coming out of the pandemic where, you know, there's a lot of things we couldn't do, and learning that you are in charge because you can make it happen for everyone else. You can make it happen for you. Whatever's in your brain that's keeping you from doing it, you better figure it out. Hmm. That's very well put, as a matter of fact. And it's funny you mentioned the spa thing, too, because I've only been saying for like two years I have to do a spa day. I have to do this. I'm terrible about taking care of my mental health lately. I'm awful on self-care. My partner will tell you that. And I get yelled at a lot about, why don't you take care of this? Take five minutes to do this. I'm horrid. Self-care is something most of us need to get serious about. And I think this last year should have been a big teacher for all of us. Like, hey, you've got all this free time. You can't leave. You're quarantined or whatever take care of you better. And I think we're all finding out that better immune systems, better, you know, just better mental mindset is a, is a huge help, I think, for all of us. You betcha. Um, now, I have an interesting question. I know that you have your BA in advertising. I know you used to be an assistant at a PR firm. And I know, obviously, that you know how to market yourself, among other things. So I have to ask you, was there ever a point in time where you thought about going towards the path of being a publicist? Because it just seemed logical to me. I'm like, why isn't she doing PR? Right? Am I wrong? Am I nuts? You, you, you are, you are, you are, in, you are coming to me at an interesting time in my life. You know, um, I recently uh-huh. just, I mean, freshly got myself a coach, and I, I, I think the pandemic really started to shake some things out. Where I thought, you know. What, what, what am I doing? Am I doing everything that I've wanted to do? Am I doing, you know, I know I'm good at what I do, 
But I right. fell into the nonprofit world accidentally, you know, and mm-hmm. people will say, oh, my goodness, you were in advertising, you worked at the PR agency, you know, what happened? And everybody knows the story of me becoming a volunteer and then losing the job that I right. had and then saying, all right, I'll stay here for three months and staying for 25 years. So there is this moment, this 25th year of self-assessment around what, are, what, what is the thing that I haven't tried that I should try. And I just recently got, I had my first coaching session on Friday with a, ah. a career and personal coach. And so I'm in the midst of, you know, doing that stuff where you start digging deep and asking questions of yourself. I'm and so, so that I'm that. trying that to figure that out. Yeah, because, you know, it's true. I'm a, I'm a great communicator. I, I understand that. I love talking and I love listening more than I love talking. And, um, you know, I, my, my, our, you know, our wonderful PR person at Encourage Kids has been um, pushing me to, to write a book. You know, just mm-hmm. it, it, it's that time to consider picking up something for yourself, continuing with that theme, right? and using yep. the talents that you have to do that. And I'm seeing so – I'm running into so many women who are switching careers. The lady that's my coach, she was in HR. She said, you know what, I'm going to open up a coaching business. And she's phenomenal. Um, ladies doing podcasts, opening up magazines, just right. jumping two feet first into something exciting and new and a little scary. And I think, you know, what we want to do is, like, be a little scary. Be a little scared. That's how you know that you're on to something if you're afraid. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that's such a – and that's such a – I cannot – I can't even tell you how much I echo that sentiment. Of course, I am – obviously, I'm at the menopause thing. Anybody who follows me knows this. That's my big gripe lately is menopause has opened my eyes to everything. But honestly, I'm going to this – I'm going to the same kind of thing in terms of where am I at and what's going on and what does all of this mean? The other day I was like, literally, I don't even know who I am anymore. So I'm evolving all of the time. And I, of course, have been an author for a long time. So I'm always telling people, write a book. And if you don't want to write a book, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to confuse Michelle even more by throwing this out there. The first time I looked at you, all I could think of was, she should be in a movie. Now that could be because I'm in the movie business, but I'm like, everybody should do a movie. Everybody should write a book. Everybody should do a movie. Everybody should do what I do. So basically if you like listening, you should be doing a podcast or a radio show. Cause that's all we do is listen to people and then piggyback on that, et cetera, in loose form. But you know, it's interesting to me that women have so many new opportunities. Film's a great opportunity. The other cool thing is teaching. I've always, I've taught for many years, and I love teaching because it gives, we give back then. As much as we get, we're giving back, which is a wonderful entity. But I love that women, especially yourself, you're taking that extra step to look at yourself and say, okay, I'm not too old, and I'm never too inexperienced to try something. So that's hugely inspiring. Um, Now, um, I also have to ask another question. You chose specifically, obviously, Encourage Kids Foundation, you find yourself working with not only professionals, but children on a regular basis. So my question to you relative to that is, what is it about children that you find so fascinating to which you would want to foster an entire career around them? Outside of the illness. Let me just say that. Outside the illness side of things. What is it about? Them? Yeah, no, no, I got it. Yeah, definitely. Um, children are 
amazing. Um, and I think, you know, in a way, when I, you know, I, I just spent um, a couple of days at home in Michigan, and uh, my cousin has a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and she's got a six-year-old girl whose brain is just fascinating. And I, you know, six is kind of that age where they're they're a sponge, and they're mm-hmm. they're 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 pulling in and reflecting back a lot of their environment. But they're also sure. processing in some really interesting ways that you can study. And what I really like about kids is their honesty is very refreshing. Um, if they if they haven't been held back a lot, their fearlessness around things, their boldness. And I'm like, you know, I could borrow some of that. You know, the, just <laughs> children are so forthright, so open, so so resilient and daring and bold, it's almost like, wait, if I studied this kid and all the ways in which they approach their environment, that, you know, that could work. You know, I, I really believe there's a lot you can learn from spending time talking to kids. And, you know, you've got some great shows like Kids Say the Darndest Things. I think Tiffany Haddish is, is doing it now. And just li- especially these new kids. I mean, these new kids, are so different than us. They've had access to so much more just digitally and, you know, using the phone and the, and the internet and all that other stuff. They're so bright and, and, and able to really articulate themselves. But I really just think they're fearless and they're bold. And I just like that about kids. I love talking to kids. I think, I just think they're fun and smart and, Mm -hmm. and really cool. And that there are lessons that can be learned from them when you really sit down and listen to them. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, oftentimes I look at my own children and I say to myself, there's just that element that there's no sense of hatred. You know, when they, when they're young, especially when they're young and as they're growing up, they don't identify with certain ugly truths that we have to deal with in society as adults, which is lovely. I find that there's a small part of me that's about 10 years old all the time. And I like the fact that I can be 10 years old around my children because when I do that around adults, they look at me like I'm a mental health patient, which is fine. You know, I can live with that, but I like being silly. I like being able to be open and children open up that part of us. I think plus they're so grateful. The smallest things you do, there's always that gratitude, which sometimes I think is harder to get from adults. So I, you know, I totally get it. So, and not only that, um, children are just so selfless sometimes, which is again a quality that I wish you know you saw more and more. So you picked a wonderful area to go into. But I wouldn't be surprised if Michelle said something like, "I'm going to be a publicist one day." Just throwing that out there. I don't know why I keep thinking you should be a publicist. Now it'll be in your you know brain. What? You'll be it's like, gonna okay. Be something. It's going to be something for sure because I'm just feeling that pull, you know? (laughs) Yes. No, I totally get it. I understand. That brings us, of course, to let's talk a bit about, of course, Encourage Kids Foundation. There's so much to talk about. To those of you that are listening in that have never heard of the foundation itself, um, it was founded in 1985, so it's, of course, been in business for a whole of 35, almost 36 years in business total. Um, Lots of questions about this. First off, I know that one of the things that you strive to do is to humanize, uh, you know, healthcare, and do a tremendous number of things. So right off the bat, my go-to question is: Do you feel that you have helped in some ways to not only humanize healthcare, but also, do you find that hospitals are getting closer to being that better place to getting better? Because I myself have had some horrid experiences. 
Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, myself as a child, I had a really tough experience in the hospital. And, you know, I think there's been this wonderful um, push in the past 20, 25 years to really concentrate on children's health. There's a lot more beautiful freestanding children's hospitals out there where, you know, Mm -hmm. donors and other stakeholders have had dedicated and focused intention on trying to build spaces for children where they can get better. And then there are, there are you know, obviously varying levels of, of, of dollars for different hospitals. You know, here I can work with a hospital in, in the New Jersey suburbs that builds in certain um, assets for children and then go to a hospital in the city where they have nothing. And what's hard for me is seeing the, de- the, the, the disparity between the two. You know, you go sure. somewhere and they've got perfectly painted walls. They've brought in uh, an environmental specialist to tell the hospital, here's what colors are most calming for children. Here's how you build a perfect playroom. And then you go into a city hospital and, you know, the, the pediatric um, floor is still cinder block walls and, you know, the children still are looking at, you know, drab walls and maybe somebody's trying to throw up a poster for a pop of color. And a lot of times they also coincide with, with class and socioeconomics. So you find in the neighborhoods that are serving an immigrant population, black and brown families, then you see that, you know, that, that slide off, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the spectrum of them just not having and having less. And so what I feel like I've been able to do and encourage kids is to try to level that playing field, try to really look and have some intention around who we fund and who we really pay attention to and have hospitals come and ask us for things that mean something to that neighborhood and that constituency, whether it's a certain type of murals. You know, um, we did murals for a hospital in Queens where everything reflected the Queens community. And and you can walk along the pediatric floor and see, you know, City Field and see, um, you know, like um, uh, it's like that big street in Jackson Heights. And, and the children felt like, oh, this is where I'm from. And it's reflected on the wall, which means it validated it. It means something. And I don't know if every foundation or organization really believes in giving um, hospitals what they actually need. I think a lot of times foundations come with, okay, here's what we're offering. We're offering widget A, and hopefully you will want that, and hopefully it mm-hmm. will fit for your constituency, and, that's, and it, may, it may not. We um, – we sponsor a musician at Montefiore in the Bronx, and he's a beatboxing um, like specialist. And he goes in with his iPad, and he uses it to make beats with kids and create a piece of art with them. He also knows how to do graffiti art. And it's mm-hmm. wonderful because it meets those children where they are in that community. Hip-hop was born in the Bronx. Um, now we know that, you know, murals and graffiti are now celebrated all over the place. You go to Wynwood and Miami, here in Jersey City, all types of places celebrate art and, and as well as graffiti. And the people at the hospital, Montefiore, they were like, we don't know if anybody else would have said, oh, yeah, we get it, we'll fund this, because they didn't understand it. And so I, I pride 
myself and my board and, and our staff on really working with the hospitals to bring them specifically what their kids need. And so I do think that um, we, we are able to humanize healthcare. In other words, making it feel like you're not trying to mitigate that trauma that you're having in the hospital. I mean, look, there isn't much you can do to make an IV less scary, but right. But then there is, right? You can make sure that, you know, you use a buzzy to put on the kid's hand. Maybe they have an iPad right. in one hand and they're distracted. And you got to get the IV started. And if you use the right tools, it may hurt less. Depending on the kid's pain tolerance, it may not hurt at all if you've done enough distractive therapy. Um I think it's important because if I can still remember what my hospital experience was at nine because it was bad, then mm-hmm. a lot of other adults can. And what we're trying to do is make sure that these kids come out of these tough experiences. And I mean, they are, some of them are tough. Kids are in the hospital for three months at a time. Kids are having surgeries, right. you know, 17 times you know, in a row. It's crazy. And you say to yourself, how can these little bodies tolerate all of this? I want to do whatever I can to make it as easy as possible. And if that's bringing in entertainment, if that's, you know, painting a a whole entire floor, if that's making sure that teens have the technology they need to be creative and to stay connected to their friends and family, if it's making sure babies in the NICU have – have whatever they need. They need music a lot, you know, musicians that bring down their heart rates and keep those little guys really calm. Like we're going to do whatever it takes. And the, the the great part about it is because every project is unique, I learned so much about pediatric health care and about children and about the diseases that they face and how we as as a whole, our donors, everyone that's involved with us, can really help make hospitals a better place to get better. Oh, you betcha. I note that um, this is one topic that oftentimes doesn't come up, and I, of course, had a child in the hospital for quite some time, in and out for four years. And one of the biggest things that we talked about that hospitals don't always get to address, and perhaps you can speak to this because I am certain in some frame, part of the framework that you have for the foundation, you've thought about this as well. One of the biggest things that oftentimes what money cannot do, and we can raise millions and millions and millions of dollars, but how do we address the mental health concerns for a patient? You know what I mean? You can you, IVs and all sorts of physical things can be done to help them. But for instance, like my son had seizures for four years. That you know, a large part is a mental thing. There's lots of mental things going on that they are feeling about themselves, et cetera. So how do we make these children's experience better on the mental health side of things? And do you have provisions for things like that? I think um, two things. So first, mental health is going to be our greatest challenge in the future for these kids. Sure. Um, We, um, you know, as you know, we're doing our Healthcare Heroes campaign right now, and we spoke to two physicians and two child life specialists. And all of them agreed that pre-pandemic, we were already having issues with depression, anxiety, a lot of things happening with kids. Post-pandemic, right. there's, they said there's going to be an incredible surge, an incredible surge. And I think we're going to have to start talking about um, re- placing more social workers right on that PEDS floor. 
obviously trying to get more child life specialists um, and getting, you know, specifically those trained in in psychotherapy. Um, I think that right now what we're doing that can help is art therapy is absolutely incredible. Music therapy is incredible. Um, on a different plane, I think our hospital entertainers just coming in and cheering kids up and making them laugh and giving them that sense of, carefree a carefree feeling and 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 just the, just the ability to laugh is so important for children but um i've been really impressed by the art therapist that we have provided there was um a hospital that kept asking us for an art therapist to come into their eating disorders unit and oh, wow. this is one of the situ- right like who knew right i'm like eating disorders what are you talking about and, you know, they really like, please come out and see our eating disorders clinic. And I'm listening to the stories about kids and obviously the Internet and, you know, the fact that everyone's showing their best altered selves. Teen girls especially are prone oh, to sure. eating disorders because of, of social media. But this is a story that was really crazy. A little boy they were talking about a little boy whose father had a heart attack and died. And obviously the mother was stressed. And this just goes to show how you have to be so careful what you say to your kids. The little boy was eating some pizza. And he was eating, and he was eating a lot, and maybe he was eating to compensate for the loss. But the mother snapped at him, and she said, if you don't keep eating so much, you're going to have a heart attack and die like your father. Oh, my God. That. That child's brain processed that and shifted him straight into an eating disorder. He literally oh, stopped eating, Cindy. Isn't that crazy? He stopped oh, eating. That's horrid. And so they had to, he had to come to the eating disorders clinic constantly and talk to those people. And they had to, you know, the art therapist would sit with the kids and, you know, draw with them individually, draw with them in group. It was incredible the things that 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 she that she taught me. She had a young woman who was a sixteen, a young girl who was sixteen years old, and she said, "Let's, let's everybody, let's draw what our eating disorder um, looks like." And so she's walking around the art therapy, and this girl drawing this beautiful poodle with with bows and everything else, right? And she's like, "Okay, I don't know where she's going with this really pretty dog, but all right." And then she's uh-huh. walking around. She comes back, and then she's drawing something else on the back, and it looks like a monster. And when it's time to share, the young lady shows the pretty poodle, and she said, this is what my eating disorder tells me that I will look like if I don't eat. But, you know, I'll be accepted. I'll be beautiful. You know, I'll, 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 I'll be perfect. Then she turns sure. the, on the other side, and she shows this, monster with eyes and gnashing teeth and she says but this is what my eating disorder really is it's trying to kill me Cindy, I, I had goosebumps all over my body and i looked mm-hmm. and i was like this is why we this is why we sponsor you this is it this is why mm-hmm. she could go back to the doctor and say this young lady made a breakthrough she is starting to understand what her eating disorder is 
but she probably couldn't have articulated that without doing the artwork. So art therapy, anybody that's had a child that's had to go and go to a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, whatever, you know they use a lot of play and art and things like that to assess the child because, you know, play is the easiest way to connect with children. And um, I just, I, I, I am just wowed at the work that art therapists and music therapists and other types of therapists do to get to the core of what's affecting a child in a way that, honestly, clinicians, doctors, nurses, they can't do that. They don't have the time. Oh, right. Well, and we also (laughs) worry about, and I've learned this firsthand from different children, of course, and I've been a mom for half of my life. There are a lot of things that children don't tell us. That's the the hardest part is is that when children don't reveal certain things, you don't know what's going on. That makes your job obviously a lot harder. I admire so much. I know the partnering with child life because I know that that clearly – you're trying to alleviate and distress a lot of this anxiety that these children have. And there's so many different neat resources, you know, with, with that particular part of this. I love the fact that you listed some of these, all the various different things that you offer. I saw the picture with all of you holding the bears on the website. It's so cute because you've got <laughs> bears and art, technology, tablets, recreational um, offerings, things like that. Um, when we look at this and we – I've seen where you've done various hospital projects along with helping out numerous pediatric facilities, et cetera. When you first started off, did you have a core idea and then it, and it built from there, meaning let's help one hospital, one clinic, whatever, or where, where was all of the foundation of this begin? And then how did it get fostered to becoming literally 16 million Received direct support from you. Started as a wish organization. We were just we were just doing wishes for kids, and mm-hmm. a lot of factors influenced the move away from that. Uh, number one, it was cost. In the beginning, we had a lot of partners, partners that would help, you know, house children down in, in Orlando at Disney, uh, free tickets for the kids. Um, rental cars, all of those things. And I think that, one, you know, Make-A-Wish does a really great job at, at, at in the wish space. And we also sure. began to find that the wishes were just too costly after a while. And we had, we had started to do parties in the hospital as well with our volunteers. And it was the first window into, wow, these hospitals really need us. Some of them don't have anything. And, you know, it began like, let's do a drive to get some toys in or some crayons or something else. And then, you know, um, in the past we had had some decently successful fundraisers where there was money that was left over. And we began to think, what do we want to do with this? And we started the entertainer program, bringing clowns and and musicians and whatnot in the hospital. And then, um, you know, over two decades ago we also said, well, what can we do to help pediatric programs by working with Child Life, and we began to talk to Child Life specialists who would tell us, you know, we really could use a music therapist, or we really could use a facelift on the pediatric floor, or we really could use um, tablets so that all of our kids that are at bedside have something that can entertain them and um, mm-hmm. because either we don't watch, want them watching soap operas. I mean, in the beginning, we were sponsoring closed-circuit TV because kids were just sitting in the bed all day watching the soaps and Wheel of Fortune, and they weren't getting anything, no education, nothing. And so um, 
hospitals would say, can you just sponsor CCTV so that we could put the programming on that's age-appropriate and will help mm-hmm. the, the children developmentally. So I think what I'm saying is, like, we followed, we followed what hospitals needed. We followed the trends, um, whether it was technology or music therapy or art therapy or um, whatever, whatever it's been, we listen and we look and say, this sounds like a great project. We're going to help you. We help you do that. Room renovations. A lot of times, you know, uh, kids have to go to treatment rooms to get those IV starts and spinal taps like I did. And mm-hmm. they wanted to make the room beautiful with distractive things mm-hmm. on the wall. So we've done dozens and dozens of just simple room renovations where there's kites on the wall or or cityscapes or, you know, goldfish embedded in the floor, you know, just whatever the hospital thought would make it a cheery space so that children wouldn't be terrified when they walked into these rooms. It's already bad enough when somebody's like, okay, well, now we got to go do the tough thing that might hurt. But at least if you go into an environment that's beautiful, all of that stuff helps. We know it helps so much. Absolutely. You betcha. You bet. And, and a mind deterrent, I think people downplay the the effect that it can have if you just detour your mind. Your brain is the most powerful part of your body. If you're able to go into another dimension or even just another dynamic that improves your general overall mood, it's amazing to me the sorts of things that can happen. And, and it's crucial that those sorts of things are added. In addition to which, what I love is that you've put together a young professionals board. So obviously those are younger yeah. individuals. Those aren't just adults. So you're not just helping children. You're actually asking children to sign on and say, hey, let's have you be a part of this. So twofold question. I'd like you to talk to us a bit about the young professionals board and, and how you find these particular individuals to participate. And then second of all, I'm sure everybody does not know that you're actually, that board is having a fitness series April 10th, which is an online it is an online teaching event. Is that not correct? Because I saw that there are tickets available for this, so we want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So they are. They're doing. They're doing a series, three, three, three different ones. I think it's the 10th of April, like you said, the 29th yeah. of April, and then there's a May date. I think May 17th, and uh, it's cardio, yoga, and and one more. I think strength training, and it's only thirty five dollars for all three. And you can buy, you know, nice. individual ones as well, but. Um, They've been doing so. YPB has been doing such a great job during the pandemic of doing virtual events. They had an incredible wine tasting um, wow. last month, and it was so nice. You know, they sent uh, everyone who signed up three bottles of wine and cho- uh, chocolate from Chocolate Modern, a wonderful chocolatier here in New York City, and they did the chocolate and wine pairing with a great sommelier from Los Angeles. So it was so cute, so much fun. Everybody stayed over just to ask questions about wine and chocolate. It was really cute. Mm-hmm. So they raised funds that way. And now they've moved into the fitness series because they, they know everybody's going to have to start going outside. And so we got to get those those uh, those bodies back. I, I think I, I posted, I made a joke about it. I'm like, sign up because you're stiff, chubby, and what was the other one? Weak. So I'm like, you got <laughs> <laughs> you got to get your stiff, chubby weeks, though. Back, That's back cool. Play, right? 
and uh, and I and I just think it's it's awesome. And where we get them from is some of them are uh, children of our board members, and and my son is also on the committee. He's a recruitment chair, and Very they cool. recruit their friends and colleagues, and they're they're just amazing. They're going to be having some great in person events at the end of the year too. So everybody should. Uh, visit our website as well as our social media pages to see that. But oh yeah, definitely sign up for the the fitness classes. Like they're going to be amazing, oh, and we all need to jumpstart ourselves. <laughs> now, since you just brought it up with your son, of course, because I know that um, with my magazine, on occasion my son will contribute, or at times I have work with my children. So this is what I have to ask you, because if I go into my teenager's room right now and be like, "Hey, son, you want to help me out with this for work?" Yeah, no, or it's Sometimes when we work with the people we love the most, they're like, yeah, that's great. I'd rather watch paint dry. You know what I mean? So how does your son, obviously I'm assuming that your son is like, yeah, this is awesome to work with my mom or he wouldn't do it. But you know what I mean? Talk to that. Talk about that dynamic a bit because I think parents working with kids together is awesome, but it can be a bit challenging sometimes on one side of the fence or the other or both. Well, you know, he, he's been around this world since he was five years old. And I think that he, you know, I think that my job has made him grow into a really compassionate person. But, oh, yeah, believe me, there are times where he's like, I do not want to do, don't ask me to do anything. And he's an art director, so he's a videographer, photographer. And I'll say, hey, can you just take photos at this event for me? And he's like, oh, my God, you're kidding. Like, you can't find someone else to do it. So, yeah, there are times where he is totally resistant. But sure. he's been so awesome at helping to build a young professional sport because I think nice. he's just at that age where he's like, you know, I can start to really give back. And I have friends who are now, you know, they've graduated from law school or or or, or you know, grad school, and they're all getting those cool first jobs. And so, they, they you know, they have an extra $35. Um but he uh i think he he really cares about supporting me in whatever i do um the worst nice. part of it is he has opinions now and that's really tough wow. like, literally we'll be at dinner mm. yeah and he has opinions i don't think you should do it this way i think you should do, do it that way and i'm like but i run the organization he's like yeah no i think you're doing it the wrong way <laughs> so it's hilarious <laughs> like you said you know you teach them how to talk and this is what you get <laughs> Lucky us. Yay. Wonderful. Yay. No, but, that, you know, but you know, it's nice to be able to have that interaction because as they grow and get older, they get more separated from us. So it is nice to be able to bond on every level that you possibly can, which is neat. Now, for the board itself, is it a rotating board? Meaning if somebody's listening in today and they have a child that would be like, yeah, it'd be great to serve on something like this. Do you rotate it or are you pretty standard and stable in terms of who you have on that? No, we definitely rotate it. I think that that's one of the things that, you know, you have to do with, with young professionals boards or any board. You always have to be bringing fresh, fresh blood in because, you know, sure. folks get tired, circumstances change. I mean, this, this board is completely flipped because, um, you know, it, we've had some iteration of this type of board for a long time. And many of the people now, like we have one – board member on our our actual board who used to be on this committee so she's all grown oh, up wow. she's married and has children and now she's on she's on the the, the board of the board of directors so okay. um so yeah we're always we're always um looking for new 
and excited voices and opinions and energy. Awesome. Good to know, of course, because obviously I never know when people are listening and they could be right in your neck of the woods and be like, okay, or, you know, that sort of stuff. So it's always helpful to mention that. Um, I love the fact that the foundation is transparent. It's one of the things that we always look for. 86 cents out of every dollar is what's being used. And I love the fact that there is literally the financials listed out, et cetera. You're not always seeing that. Um, So when we talk about money, we obviously know that your foundation isn't endless, meaning that it gets help from a lot of different directions. I know that obviously outside of actually volunteering or making a donation, you have certain things such as being able to fundraise or give a bear. Tell me a bit about the give a bear program. That was a little interesting. I haven't come across something like that before. Uh, it's, it's so cute. You know, it's just, it's, it's been something that we've been doing seriously for several years. We had had, you know, a relationship maybe two or three decades ago with Boyd's Bears, you know, and it would be like a holiday thing. At the holidays, you know, you would say, give a bear to a sick child that's in the hospital. And then we thought the hospitals really liked the bears, and hospitals started to have things called teddy bear clinics. That's where you bring children in, comes from the community or a child that may be having surgery, and you use the stuffed animal for medical play. So we were like, hmm. whoa, mind blown. What are you doing? And they're like, well, we have little, I mean, there are little MRI machines, little blood pressure cuffs, and you're giving children an opportunity to learn about medical procedures while they are in power and in control and doing these procedures on the bear. So, you know, the bear will get his blood pressure taken, get a, get a shot, get, um, you know, the kid can listen to the bear's heart with stethoscope. Um, some of our hospitals alter the bear, like one altered it so that the bear was an amputee. So his little bear leg was um, had an amputee uh, foot on it, and so that they could teach a child about an amputation. And my mind was so blown that hospitals were doing this. We just started the Send a Smile, Send a Bear program, and they're using them for kids to cuddle and hold on to while they're just, Aww. you know, in the hospital. From everything to, hey, when you go into surgery, we're going to put a gas mask on you. Let's put it on Teddy. And the kid can put it on Teddy so that when they see that gas mask, they're like, oh, Teddy did that, and he was okay. I'm going to let them put the gas mask on me. And, and the hospitals really cooperate. It's really cool because they'll roll Teddy. Teddy will go all the way into surgery, and then they, you know, once the child is asleep, they whisk Teddy off, and Teddy gets taken downstairs to recovery, and somebody sure. puts Teddy back in the bed, and when the child wakes up, you know, they think that Teddy went through the whole surgery with them. And I just think it's so beautiful <laughs> that everybody participates in keeping that wonder alive for children going through something so terrifying. You know, I, I'm sure so many of your listeners have had surgery. They've been in the hospital. They've gotten an MRI. They've gotten an IV start. And nobody will raise their hand and say, oh, yeah, that was the best part of my day. I love that when they were jamming that needle in my <laughs> right. hand. You know, and so just imagine, like, not being five 
and having to do that. Being five and you, they're trying to see if your cancer has spread and they're trying to get you into an MRI machine and the noises and mm-hmm. everything else, just all of the things that we're trying to do to help kids not just survive these experiences, Cindy, but thrive through them, be empowered. You know, you want to see them hop up on those tables and like, I know it's about to happen, doctor, and I can walk you through it. I know that the IV is a little straw that brings medicine into my body that makes me get better. Like that's how we're trying to empower these kids. The power of the bear. I love it. That is awesome. Yeah. If, Somebody wants to do a fundraiser because I'm assuming that we can fundraise all over the country for you. Of course, Absolutely. do they normally have to get a hold of the? Do they contact the foundation and say, "Hey, I want to do this," or do you, do you have it structured in such a way where they pitch you and then you set it up together, or how does that work? The majority of the fundraisers I'm seeing everyone do is through Facebook now. I, you know, a lot of times oh, wow. we look up and we're like, "Somebody started a fundraiser." Yeah, Facebook fundraisers bring in a decent amount of dollars for us. People do them for their birthdays or they'll do them around the teddy bear day. But there are also Mm -hmm. ways that you can go into our website and do peer-to-peer fundraisers. So, you know, I mean, anything from endurance training things. I know that a lot of people are going to be back out there running marathons and and doing triathlons Mm -hmm. and 5Ks and whatnot, and they get their group of friends together and – and they can contact us and we can give them collaterals and assets that they can use to to promote their fundraiser. But, yeah, whatever folks want to do, it, it's amazing. And it's whether they want to have money for a project like, hey, therapy really resonated with me and I want to do a Facebook fundraiser and I want, you know, to um, have that go towards an art therapist in a hospital. You know, that that would be great. The teddy bear fundraisers mm-hmm. are always the best. Um, we, you know, we send bears all across the country and, you know, they're so popular for, for all sorts of reasons. So, yes, absolutely. People can fundraise in their offices once they get back to them. <laughs> Right. Um, all kinds of great things. Oh, you betcha. And I do see that uh, just some of the listed partners you have, like the Mats and Red Bull New York and New York Islanders. Yeah. Now, do they oftentimes, by us supporting them, do they in turn partner with you at some point in time? Because I know sometimes fundraisers will be done specifically through an organization to benefit somebody like you, for instance. So the Mets are really cool because every year they have an event for us, and it's called um, – uh, encourage Kids Night at at City Field, and they donate yes. a big block of tickets to us. And some of those tickets we fundraise with, and then some of those tickets we bring families in. It's a great mix where our donors can see the mission right there in front of them, and they get to interact with the families and the kids. And we have face painters, and the kids make posters for the Mets, and it seems like every time we do it, the Mets win. It's so cool. Mr. Met comes <laughs> to visit the kids. The Mets' wives come and visit. Sometimes you'll have, like, a retired Mets player come to the bullpen. And uh, Aramark um, provides all the food. So it's an amazing event, all free to us, and we make almost $100,000 with that event. It's such a blessing. Wow. I mean, I love it. Holy and man. the kids, the kids have the best time. They're out there. We get them foam fingers, and they're out mm-hmm. there, and they encourage kids' shirts. 
and, you know, it's always a beautiful night. I mean, who does not love the ballpark in the springtime? Right. And they've got their hot dogs and their popcorn and their cookies, and it's just so much fun. And the Mets are incredibly generous to us. We cannot thank them enough. Um, you know, and same thing with the Red Bulls. They give us tickets for our kids to come and watch soccer matches. Um, I, I just will be so excited when our families can get back to those types of things where they can all see each mm-hmm. other. They, they love to bond with one another. Our families know each other, and they make these great lifelong friendships and connections that we just sit back and go, wow, you know, this event facilitated you know, kids that are now best friends because they've known each other for so long and they see each other in the hospital and they're like, I know you from Encourage Kids. It's great. Oh, look at that. We're so liking the Mets right now. Not that I didn't before, but they're just kind of going <laughs> up and up and up. It's so encouraging to hear that sort of good stuff that is. Um, yeah. Speaking they're of events, people. I don't want to yeah. – oh, God, and I still, I have yet to go to a Mets game. I, I won't lie to you. And all the different oh times I've been to New York, that's my hope. I know, here. I got to go, you I got to go. You can be my guest. You can be my guest. And when, when, we, when we have um, – when we – you know, if we have it this year, I totally give yes. you the date. And you got to come out. Oh, my gosh. You will love, I will love, love it. I will love that. Oh, my gosh, yes. I, <laughs> I, I still – I mean, all these years, I still keep trying to get to all of this stuff. But the Mets are on there along with other things. So, definitely, I would love that whatsoever. Um, also, you have listed Starry Night uh, is your event coming in May. And then, of course, Serving Up Smiles in October as well. We probably want to tell yeah. folks a, a bit about those two things, please. So Serving Up Smiles, we're waiting to hear. Um, if it's not going to be in May, then hopefully it'll be, you know, a couple of months after that. But that's sure. it, 235th. Sure. 235th is this stunning rooftop in Midtown Manhattan. It's beautiful, and they are so generous to us every year. They um, host our YPB event there. And um, it's it's uh, it's just beautiful. Um, a lot of young people, although the old people are starting to crash that event now. Like my board members, they love it because <laughs> no, but they they have like a caricature artist, and they've got you know an illusionist, and all these cool things. And then you're just outside, and you're looking at the Empire State Building, and there's nothing like being on a beautiful rooftop. And the people at 235th are amazing. Anybody that's listening, like if people should all go to 235th. It's a stunning rooftop, great drinks, great food. They're awesome. And so they've been doing Starry Night for us for several, several years, and it's always a successful event for our Young Professionals Board. It's their biggest event of the year. And as soon as we know the date, we will definitely post that on our website and on our social. And then Serving Up Smiles, our tasting event, is going to be on October 19th, and it's at um, Pier 60 at Chelsea Piers. And this Mm -hmm. is amazing. Wine. Spirits, food. The food is amazing. Our culinary chair is Chef Ralph Scamardella from the Tao Group. Chef Ralph is the most amazing human being ever. He's always cooking something. He's always doing something. And he brings a couple of the Tao Group restaurants. And so in any given year, you're tasting food from Tao or from Lavo or from Beauty and Essex. It's just an incredible event. And we have, you know, Tons of, of, of just, it's just, it's just food, 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 wine, 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 um, vodka, all kinds of stuff, and dancing. Amazing band. 
there's an auction. We auction off a lot of food items, you know, trips to Napa Valley, um, restaurant certificates, all kinds of stuff. And I think, like, going to be the exact right timing when everyone is feeling better and we're all, you know, either we've got our shots or, you know, this, this, this virus has started to wane down and, and right. everybody's ready. They're going to be ready to go back out into the world and enjoy each other and enjoy a great social event. And there's an, a big outdoor space so that, you know, you can go outside and look at the Hudson River and, oh, it's just going to be amazing. I cannot wait. Oh, that does. That sounds absolutely lovely. Um we don't want to forget to talk about the obvious, the Healthcare Heroes campaign. The goal yeah. is a million. Now, yeah. tell everybody who's listening <laughs> in where the initiative came from. And by the way, when I was looking at the different Healthcare Heroes that you named, I hate to admit it, but it's true. The first thing that flashed into my head was a child. The term Healthcare Hero to me automatically, that was the first thing I thought it was. It's a kid. Yeah. Although all of your nominees are absolutely outstanding. I give you yeah. huge credit for that. You've picked some amazing individuals. <laughs> but tell the folks about that. I'll shut up now. Healthcare Heroes uh, campaign. Why is this so important? So the Healthcare Heroes campaign was born out of the fact that last year our gala was supposed to be held on March 11th yes. at Cipriani in Wall Street. And we were so excited. We were in a new space. We had done all these fancy things. We, you know, we were ready to wine and dine and, and, and really talk about the, the past of the mission. And we were going to have some of our kids who, you know, had been with us for 15 years. Now they're adults come back and speak. I mean, we were ready. We were so excited. And, you know, the, the, the little inklings of, so what's up with this virus, right? And it's, it's in Westchester and, then people, you know, you're hearing people are getting it, and then all of a sudden it's it's a problem, and we have to cancel the day before. And that is the same day the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. And right. so we missed our 35th anniversary gala, lost a lot of funds, and now, you know, you've heard mm. me talk to you for the past, like, 15 minutes. We have this event and that event and that event, and I think about <laughs> all those events last year, nothing, right. no events, right? Right. So we lost all a right. lot of revenue. Yeah, so we lost a no, no starry night, no city field, no, you know, we did Serving Up Smiles virtual, but we made a third of the money. Um, right. It was just a mess. And so we're approaching that same, March is always our gala month. And so in December, I'm thinking, oh, God, we're not going to have a gala. This thing, we're on, we're on the second surge, right? We're not, we're not having a gala. What am I going to do? Q1 and Q2 are biggest fundraising months. And we were concerned, you know, we'd already laid off staff and uh, reduced hours and, 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 and salaries of some other staff. And so we're in, we're, we're in, we're in go mode. We really have to figure it out. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, who can we highlight? Normally we pick two wonderful titans of New York City real estate and fawn all over them. And, you know, it's a regular dinner, right? You get the honorees, they bring in the people, we have our core group of people, we celebrate, they dance, mm-hmm. we make a million dollars or more if we're really lucky. <laughs> so, okay. And we've been doing that forever. We thought, who in pediatrics, have, who are the people that have really stepped up and what don't we know about what happened 
in the hospitals during this pandemic. Our first person was Megan Kelly. Megan got COVID March 16th. She yep. was diagnosed with it, terrified, thought she was going to die. She had chronicled the whole thing on Facebook. If you pick one to watch, watch Megan's. I've known yep. Megan for half my life. She is an incredible child life specialist, a really wonderful person just outside of her job. She is involved in everything, right. always trying to uplift people. Um, you know, she's that soup kitchen lady, like she's down with all of that. And she <laughs> talks about this terrifying ordeal, right, and coming back and finding out that her mentor, a doctor, had passed away, and then just going through that you relive COVID with them and how child life had to pivot to support the doctors and the nurses in the hospital, how, you know, the only kids that were coming in were those who were really sick, like cancer didn't stop, right? So kids, if you were sick, you had to be in the hospital and you were isolated. And, you know, how we worked with those hospitals to get the kids they needed because there wasn't enough PPE. The playrooms were locked down. They were using those for for the staff. Kids couldn't go to playrooms. They couldn't do anything. So you're stuck in your room, and hardly anyone can come see you. And we made these COVID coping kits and sent them in to the hospitals. They were in, you know, Ziploc bags for sanitary reasons, and at least the kids had something to play with at bedside. But the stories are really about what happened. Uh, Another one was Nicole Perez. Queens, Mm. Elmhurst, devastated devastated the whole the whole neighborhood and so many essential workers work there this young lady calls me up that you got to talk about what you don't know right she's like listen right um she sends an email and she says hey i don't know if you guys will do this because i know you just deal a lot with our kids kids but we've got moms who are having babies our supply chain is totally broken down they have diapers they don't have any of that starter stuff they can't go shopping because all the stores are closed they can't get to target and when they get there nothing's there we need wipes diapers and and just something blankets starter outfits something for these kids because mm-hmm. their husbands are dead from COVID. sometimes their moms too because a lot of those people live in one apartment together they couldn't isolate if they got COVID, um, can you do something for us? I was like, we got to figure it out, and we did. And we gave them diapers and clothes and wipes and uh, went to other um, retailers, um, a great place down in Tribeca, uh, Little Essentials, sent over boxes of, of, of items for those moms. And, you know, Cindy, I was just like, oh, my God, this is the worst. Stuff that you just never thought about because, honestly, I lost people that I knew during the pandemic, but I kept my job and I kept my home and I never got COVID and I was safe. And just to think about being a brand-new mom and your husband has passed away from COVID and you don't have a way to get anything you need and maybe you have other little children and perhaps English is a second language for you and you're you're just terrified and stuck you know, we 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 had to come through for Elmhurst, and we did, and they were so grateful. And then this young woman, Nicole, she contracted COVID, and so did her husband, who's an NYPD officer and also, you know, and a, another first responder. So I just thought telling these stories of how the people that we work with and the people who help make hospitals a better place to get better – would really resonate. And we also talk about what we did for those hospitals and everything else, but we really Mm -hmm. wanted to highlight the heroism 
of those people that work in the hospital with these kids every day. So that's what we did. Wow. That's all I can say. I literally jaw dropped just (laughs) listening to all of that. It's so moving. It really is. Everything you do involves moving one person, multiple people, et cetera. And it goes so much beyond the money component, not to mention the fact for those that are listening in, I can't even, I couldn't even have enough time in this broadcast to read how many affiliations you have, how many groups you're involved in, how many different things that you lend your name to, committees and otherwise. It's so impressive. And on top of which, of course, she was named by the prestigious Cranes as a notable black leader and executive. Who could get any better than that, of course? On top of which, you've been featured in all of some of my favorites from CBS, NBC, Fox. Obviously, Authority Magazine is one of my personal favorites, and the list just goes on and on. But the coolest part about you is that you move people in such a way that you've left a mark on society that's long-lasting and permanent well beyond your days. That is not something that everyone does all of the time. That contribution in and of itself is just thankless. I mean, there aren't enough thank yous that I could give you, and I haven't even met you. So I can only imagine how many families that you've touched. That's incredible. That's nothing short of just jaw-dropping. That's why you get the whole jaw-drop thing. And she's pretty. And she's been in non-menopausal and all the things that I'm not right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> no, menopausal. I'm just doing that. Sure. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's so pleasant. Life is just great being a woman in this day and age, isn't it? Oh, my God, yeah. isn't it? Wonderful. <laughs> it is. It's just it's absolutely wonderful. Now, before I forget, because can you believe we've been talking almost an hour and a half? Like, seriously. I can't, but you're it's, a great interviewer. You are the best. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I could talk to you all day. God. You're amazing. Oh, my gosh. See, this is the trick. I'm supposed to make you think you're not on the radio, and then it helps me not be nervous because I am, believe it or not, I get terrified when I come on here. I'm like, okay. Um, but you've made my job very easy. I don't want to forget about asking this last question before we go through the business side of things. And I might just trick you because I don't know that you've ever listened to one of my shows before, but then you know what's coming. So there's more after we do the announcements here. Um, I don't want to forget to mention to those folks, and I'll be reading the website shortly and all of our social media information, um, one of the things that you'll see on there about besides ways to help, all the accomplishments, the media, et cetera, I did notice on there that you have both the blog and the newsletter, which are both periodic. So how often do people expect things like that? Do you do those every other month or, or at random, or is there any system to that? Because I found those very informative. You know, I think it depends. I think because uh, March was Child Life Month, we really wanted to focus on on hearing from the voices of child life specialists because we're always trying to amplify that industry um, because we think that, you know, they're so crucial. And, you know, you don't know until you're a mom in the hospital or a dad in the hospital. You're like, oh, my God, I'm so glad this person is here to help me navigate it. So we always try to amplify a child life specialist, and we gave a couple of them an opportunity to um, to guest blog. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. you know we try to do them pretty consistently. We were just talking today about mapping out our newsletter. We try to do the newsletter at least okay. twice a year, and um, just to aggregate everything that's happened the five or six months before, and mail those out to people. Because still, honestly, a lot of people are not using technology to get their information, and so we still do use um, the mail to um, send collaterals, especially to our older constituents who don't love social media or anything digital. 
but yeah, so no, I get that. That's what we do. So you can definitely, you know, the the the, the blogs are pretty consistent. That's kind of what I thought, but I just wanted to be able to clarify that because us journalists, you know, we're pretty prudent about that stuff. Like, we don't want to guess. We don't want to <laughs> guesstimate. We just want to know. It's one of those things. Okay, so now to the business side of things. First of all, before I proceed to read off the 8 million ways to find Michelle Duncan on social media and otherwise, I do not want to forget about the obvious. MJ Padone of IndraPR.com. This is what I want to say um, without crying because I haven't seen her in such a long time. One of the reasons that I was so adamant about doing this interview is because I work with tons of publicists all the time. I get pitched all the time. So MJ is one of probably four publicists that I know, and I don't even think I've told her this. So this might be the first time she hears it. If she asked me to interview Buddha, I would. If she asked me to stand on a street corner and interview a stranger, I would, because if she had an affiliation with them. There are a few publicists that I would, without, without of the gate, I would say yes, without even thinking about it, she's one of them. She has to be, to me, she is the epitome of a very classy, classic, creative, just compassionate, lovely human being and is working her butt off, being a single mom, running her agency. I've met the women she works with. She's just class, front, bottom, and sideways. Her clients mirror her, by the way, in many, many shades. Uh So to you, Miss MJ, I am praying with all that I have that that she can meet me this weekend because I will be in the city. So to you, young lady, when you listen to this, my thank you, my hats off to you. I miss you very much, and I can't thank you enough for another great interview. And to anybody who's listening who does not have her hired as a PR, you should. Her name is MJ. Last name is P-E-D-O-N-E. And again, the website, uh, indrapr.com. That's I-N-D-R-A-P-R.com. Because I'm all about shameless promotion because the name of the show is mine, so I can do that. So just a little love for MJ. And, of course, MJ, thank you for introducing me to Michelle. And, of course, Michelle, in case I didn't say it the other day thanks again for your patience and waiting for me sometimes i get told that it's worth a wait i hope that it was obviously so thank you so much um the lady we've been talking to her name is michelle and that's m-i-c-h-e-l-e hall duncan and of course she is the ceo and again the name of the company is encourage kids foundation so here we go stay tuned because there's like 75 links here just kidding the website itself is encourage-kids.org She is on LinkedIn as well as the company Encourage Kids Foundation. She is also on YouTube. Facebook is same name as the company. On Instagram, it is at Encourage Kids. And on Twitter, Encourage underscore Kids. Michelle herself is on Instagram, and that's Michelle Loves Picks, P-I-C-S. And, of course, Twitter at Michelle H. Tweets. Have I missed anything? Any other place where people can find you or the foundation? No, you have not missed anything. And I just want to just jump in and say and reiterate, MJ has changed my life. She is the most, everything you said, times 10. She is wonderful. She personally is kind, you know, like she'll check in on me about if I'm upset about something. She's just really amazing and push, push, pushes, pushes me so much. She is wonderful. I echo everything that you have said, and I do hope you get to see her this weekend. It's going to be a great week. Oh, absolutely. Really going to be and hopefully she'll, we, we want her to listen to the interview, of course. And then we want all of my listeners <laughs> to go ahead and get a hold of MJ and say, listen, MJ, I think you should let Cindy interview you. Because I do interview publicists all the time, and I haven't had her on my show yet. So for me to be able to interview would be cool. And let's not also forget, she's damn good looking for her age, okay? 
Just go oh, look yeah. at her. She ain't ugly. She got yeah. hit by the beauty stick like 75 times. Thank you so much. So we've yeah. come to that point in time in the show where I kind of started to tell you what I think of you. That's one of two things I do, which is to tell you what I think of you. And these are my thoughts of Michelle. I'll give those to you first. And why? Because I'm a journalist, and the only thing that's not scripted is what I'm about to say to you, um, which means <laughs> I truly mean it. Not that I didn't mean the other stuff, but this is right basically from the heart. So these are my words of wisdom, or should I say these are my impressions of the dear Michelle. One of the nicest parts about this young lady was I didn't know her from Adam. I finally had to call her because we were having tech issues and other issues, and I had to postpone her yet again. And she was just the epitome of grace and style, didn't even flinch, didn't even upset her. I'm like, first of all, that's my kind of person. Second of all, strong female influences I can totally relate to. So I knew there were some things that we had in common to begin with. What I didn't know, even after reading, watching interviews, et cetera, and figuring out about her, was just how distinctive she was. And why? Not because of the, the CEO of a nonprofit, not because of the titles that you own, et cetera, but because you're a woman that everyone wants to be, and yet it's so easy to be you in shades meaning that not all of us can carry 50,000 titles, but you're relatable and you're remarkable and you're inspiring and you're impressive. Your look and your style, I've seen some of the pictures you take on a red carpet and you make it look like you're wearing sneakers even though you're in a lovely evening gown. You are fit to be one of those finite women who just makes a mark everywhere she goes. You leave a smile in every place you walk into, I'm sure, and more importantly, you make people realize that they matter and that they themselves are memorable as well. So as I started to say earlier, I can't thank you enough for your contributions, and I haven't even met you yet. I am certain that you have touched far more lives than you'll ever know. So thank you for your service. And most importantly, thank you for coming into my little world and hopefully into my life. Now, oh my the last goodness. part before I tell you this um, and please don't cry. Every time I do that stuff, people either cry or they can't talk and I'm getting know, weird. I'm like, what? I'm just being honest. I'm being real, folks. That's what I do. Um, the typical time is usually about two, two and a half hours. Once this becomes an archived episode, I'll probably zip it over to MJ, and you'll have both links. One is from YouTube. One is from Blog Talk Radio. Now, the last thing before my teenagers yell at me because they have to go to work and I have to take them is, if you've never heard my show, you know that you do not get out alive, meaning that you don't get off my show until I give you my surprises. And, yes, dear Michelle, there are surprises. I have okay. three in particular for you. So, first of all, I'm not sure if the kids that you work with would be interested in this, but as I mentioned, my son for four years was a seizure patient. One of the coolest things that came out of that, if any, besides the fact that he's seizure-free now, is he decided on his own, outside of his influence of his author mother, to create a comic book. And he did this comic book, and it is very – and I have a literal PDF version that I could literally send to you that you could share with oh, thousands and thousands of epilepsy children, you know. And it's got a nice yeah. – it's got a hero in it, got a villain in it, but the bottom line is it gives them hope. It makes them feel like they're perfectly normal. It talks about their experiences, and at the end there's hope that they will have a cure. So I think it's important to offer kids like that hope. So number one, I'm more than willing to do that. Number two, what I would like to do is if you want to throw out feelers to all the children and all the hospitals in your network, I am willing to literally devote an entire issue of my magazine to any kind of poetry, writing, 
art, anything that a children wants to create. It can be a contest across all over New York City where if they want to create something while they're sitting there, I'll give you an entire issue of my magazine to do that. And there's one more. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, you know, when you either got to go big or go hard. I'm in a generous mood of life. The last one is uh, something I know a little something about because I own a film festival. I have great access to just hundreds and hundreds of films. So I do have probably 10 or 12 children's films at my access. Uh, so what we could do is work together and basically try to come up with a night where kids could literally have a movie night for movies from all different sorts of independent filmmakers from across the country. That's that all I got for you. That's it? Oh, no. That's <laughs> that it. All, That's all she wrote, young oh, lady. That is goodness. all. Well, I am saying yes to door number one, two, and three. And so <laughs> we will definitely continue to know each other because, you know, the wonderful oh, thing you tell me things, and my brain just opens up. I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. I'm going to call this person, this person, that person. I. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, oh, yeah. All right. No, it, let's do it's it. It's just what everything – that really is what people should do. If they have resources, if they have ways to help, they should do that. And and I always feel inclined to step up and always provide something a bit above and beyond just an interview because, you know, you've been interviewed numerous times. So hopefully this is something that will be memorable and it will help make your job a little bit easier in terms of helping other people. But, yeah. We'll stay in touch, of course, after the interview. MJ knows how to get a hold of me, and, and certainly you do. I, in fact, I called you, so you know how to reach me. So we'll talk about all this off the air, but I just wanted you to know that okay. I appreciate your efforts. And thank you so much for the interview, dear. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I didn't do anything, but you're welcome. <laughs> it was a pleasure <laughs> to meet did. you. On you air, did. off air, I look forward to all of this. This should be wonderful. And enjoy your afternoon. I'm going to go out and get out in the weather while it's still nice out here. I know, yeah. You got. I'm a little under the weather, but go. Yeah, you got to get your teens to their jobs so they can make their money. That's exactly I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna, you bet. I'm gonna drink some orange juice. Um, <laughs> you do that. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I will, I will call MJ right now because she's gonna want to know what we did. <laughs> Absolutely, you'll probably get to her before I will and tell her I said hello, of course. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Dear. All right. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Michelle. Have a good one. Thanks. Tell me that she wasn't wonderful, right? Michelle Hall Duncan was her name. And one more time, the website is encourage-kids.org. She can be found on LinkedIn as well as her foundation. Again, the name is Encourage Kids Foundation. She is also on YouTube, Facebook with the same name. Instagram is at Encourage Kids. And Twitter is Encourage underscore Kids. Please do your best to go ahead and check her out again. Her name is Michelle Hall Duncan. It's Encourage Kids Foundation. I can't say highly enough about her work, but more importantly, please do donate if you can. Um, My thanks one more time to MJ, of course. I'm now officially off of the air until Wednesday, in which case then um, stay tuned. I will go ahead and post up specifically who we're just waiting on confirmation today, but I'm pretty sure it's a fellow media colleague. But like I said, check the page or check Blog Talk Radio for the announcements. Thanks so much for for tuning in for the last 90 minutes and supporting me, of course. I am off to go do my errands. You guys have a wonderful day. We'll talk on Wednesday. Take care.